You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. So yeah, here we are. We're continuing on on uh, the Beginner's Guide to Jesus, Part Two, and um, and uh, we got some really good stuff here. So I think whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran, you know, you've been going to our church for a hundred years. Um, I think there'll be some good stuff here. So I'm I'm going to my first slide here, and uh, some of you, if you've been with me in the John studies, you'll you'll recognize. Uh, some of these things. This is, uh, early Christian graffiti. Uh, it literally, I mean, the, the, the picture on the right is what somebody had carved into a wall in Rome and it's literally Christian graffiti. So early Christians also, among the many things they did, they also tagged. Um, but, uh, these are the oldest symbols of Christianity. And the reason I have them up here is because, um, as I've said before, and I said in the earlier class that, the huge debate has been who is Jesus? Um, you know, he came, uh, he came under the title, uh, the expectation, fulfilling the prophecies with the expectation of the Messiah. And Israel was ripe with expectation. And Jesus shows up, you know, first comes John preparing the way, then comes Jesus. And, and, you know, you have to remember there were other false teachers and false prophets out there, even claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't come and claim to be the Messiah. He comes and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. And his ministry basically proves that he is the Messiah. But even in that, you know, what exactly does that mean? That is he the son of God? Is he God in the flesh? And this was hotly debated in his lifetime but then afterwards, you know, I have this scripture on here, John 10, 30. It says, I and this Jesus speaking, he says, I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Then they picked up stones to stone him. You, a mere man, claim to be God. You know this. This is this is incredibly important because you know when 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 you look at Jesus' life, uh, he had no doubts of who he was and what he was here for. And this is something that is incredibly unique and distinct about Jesus. Siddhartha did not claim to be God. That's the Buddha. Buddha did not claimed to be God. Muhammad did not claim to be God. No great religious leaders, certainly Moses didn't claim to be God. Nobody else claimed to be God except Jesus. And and if you follow Jesus, or if you have any interest in Jesus, you have to come to a conclusion, either he was or he was not God. And, and this is why the Jews wanted to kill him, because they knew that the things he was saying pointed to him being God. So we're going to, we're going to tackle that today. Um, you know, the, the, the symbols above, the reason why this graffiti is so important, uh, is, is because of what the early Christians clearly believed. These, this graffiti actually tells us what they believed. Um, again, if you, if you know, you, it's going to be a repeat if you heard the John class, but one of the oldest symbols was a, a cartwheel. And that's the one you see in the graffiti. And, and 
The reason that was the symbol was because in it, it had the letters ichthus, ichthus. And ichthus in Greek means fish. So the other symbol that became very popular was the fish. And to this day, you'll be driving down the freeway and somebody will cut you off and you'll see a little fish on the back of their car. Um, and you say, oh, that was a Christian who cut me off, you know, or a believer in Jesus. Um, and, but the, the, I remember our professor asked us one time, well, why, what did the fish represent? Why did he choose the fish? And we all thought, most of us guessed because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Well, that's not actually the answer. The answer is because the word ichthus, fish, stood as an acronym for Jesu Christo Theos Will Sopater, which means Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Savior. Um, I've got it broken down here a little more. Jesu Christo Theos Will Sopater. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Now, I will also add, I, I want to correct one thing here. I mean, this is what it's always been believed, Son of God. There's no of in here. Obviously, these are just an, it's an acronym. So it could also read Jesus Christ, Son, God, and Savior, uh, or Son of God and Savior. But it was kind of a, it was in a creed. It was a creed, and a creed is a statement of belief right from the very beginning. They knew who he was. That he's the Son of God, that He's Savior, that He is the Son, that He is God, that He's our Savior, He's the Messiah. They knew this from the beginning, and that was the message, that was the good news, that Jesus Christ has come, the Messiah came. For the Jews, it was the good news that all those prophecies have been fulfilled, and they certainly were. For for the world, it's that the truth and the life has come to save us, and Jesus Christ paid the price. So um, there are several places in the scriptures where who Jesus is, is very well described and explained to us. So we're going to look at a couple of those so we know who he is. And just so you know the technical term, it's Christology. Christology is, is the study of Jesus or your, you know, who you think he is. And so somebody will say, what is your Christology? I know nobody in the real world says that, but in the academic circles, somebody would say that. Um, so the first one we're going to go to is Hebrews. And again, if you've been in my Hebrews class, <laughs> you'll be familiar with this one. Um, Hebrews was a book written to Jewish Christians. That's why it's called Hebrews. Um, and it basically is reminding them of the greatness of Jesus. After the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the next book that just totally explains who Jesus is, what he was like, his purpose, his role, all that, is the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was a book basically to encourage Christians, Jewish Christians especially, to stay faithful to Jesus, to stand with Jesus. They were going through persecution, and they were being persecuted not for being Jews, but for being followers of Jesus. And so they had the strong temptation to kind of shrink back into Judaism and forget Jesus because Jesus brought on persecution. And, and so the book of Hebrews kind of admonishes the, them and, and really all of us to stay faithful to Jesus. So right out of the gate, Hebrews chapter one, verse one, he goes after who is Jesus. And so here's what it says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And now when he says through the prophets, 
He's talking about the Old Testament, the major prophets and the minor prophets. So everybody, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Amos, Jonah, Malachi, all the way through Malachi, they all speak of the Messiah to come. They have issues they're addressing. They have things they talk about. But in there are woven these little like hints of what's coming, of who's coming, of who's about to come. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew, he he shows a lot of those. He connects Jesus to a lot of the things. There are many more than that. Um, I don't I don't remember the exact number, but I'm sure somebody counted it. But there are many prophecies about Jesus, and all of them were fulfilled. I mean, hundreds, and and he fulfilled them all. So he says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Every Jew knew that prophets are men who are sent by God and God speaks through them. And he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universes. So he says, now these last days, he's not sending prophets. He sent his son to speak to us. And Jesus is the one who made everything, including the universe. It was all made through him. And so he's, he's smashing the idea that Jesus popped up, you know, in the, in the year one Anno Domini, you know. No, the, Jesus has been around forever. And that's how God has spoken to us is through Jesus. And you have to understand the significance of that is incredible. Um, Jesus is everything. And the way that I love uh, William Barclay and his commentary, he talks about how Jesus is like every prophet was like an instrument in an orchestra. So you have the violins, that's Daniel. You have the brass, that's, that's, uh, Ezekiel. You have, you have the, 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 the percussions and that's Daniel or, or, Amos or whatever. And, but Jesus is the entire orchestra. It's all of them together. Or we could say that every prophet is a key on the keyboard, but Jesus is the piano. You know, that he's the full voice of God. And, and he says, um, he says, the last day he spoke to by sent through whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he's made the universe. And of course, in traditional cultures, the firstborn is the heir and he gets everything. He gets the name, the title, all things go to him. That's Jesus. So he's holding him up. This is not just one of God's children. This is the firstborn. Actually, one of the titles is monohenatos, the one begotten of God. We're all children of God, but then there's one that actually came from God. And that is Jesus, a title only Jesus has. And it says, um, the son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. So if there's any doubt, you know, how much like God is Jesus? He's the exact representation. He's the radiance of God's glory. Well, what does that mean? Well, that can mean a lot of things. Um, but the greatness of God, he radiates that. He shows you how great God is. I love the word is apagasma, the glow, the, 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 the light of God is in him. He is, he shows us God and, and, and he is the exact representation. The representation of the word in Greek is character, character, or the character. Like if you pull up a quarter, we all know who that is. At least in the United States, we, 
We could all look at it and say, oh yeah, that's George Washington. If George Washington walked down the street, we would all recognize him. Even though he lived over 200 years ago, we would recognize him because we have seen his exact character, right? So you should be able to look at Jesus and recognize God because he is the character of the Father. And it says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And, and so, so everything he says is sustained. What does that mean? That it's empowered. It keeps going uh, on, on a source, which is, which is Jesus. He is the source of all things. I'm sitting here surrounded by lights shining on me. They're using up massive amounts of energy that's coming down on me. Where did that energy come from? Jesus. Where did the power come from to run this camera? Jesus. For that matter, where does the energy come from that keeps my heart beating? Jesus. Where does the energy come from that expands and it contracts my lungs to breathe? Jesus. Where did I get life from? Jesus. Where, who empowers the sun to burn and give life and light to the planet, to the planet earth for 50 billion years? Jesus. So everything is sustained. So can we exist even one second without Jesus? No, not, not at all. He is in everything. He is everything. He empowers everything. And later on, we're going to get into the logos. Probably, well, that'll probably be in the next class. But the logos is, well, no, it won't go there. But it's huge. <laughs> I'll say that. You can tune in the next class. And he says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And, I mean, this is, this is it's just one big statement after another. After he provided purification of sins, every Jew knows our biggest problem in this universe is our sin because it separates us from God. It creates distance between us and God and sin destroys us. Sin ruins lives. Sin eats up souls. Sin destroys everything. And he provided purification of sin. He got the, the problem of sin. Jesus is the solution. He dealt with it. He paid for it. He eliminated it. So he, he took it on himself. And then after, after he did that, after he died on the cross for us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, you know, which is the, the seat to the right of the king was always the seat of honor. The most powerful person in the kingdom after the king sat there. And they, so he sits at the right hand of God, right? Um, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now you have to, you have to understand angels were held in the highest regard. We know that, 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 that it is a deadly thing for man, mortal man, to stand in the presence of God. That, that, that you could die just by facing God. I mean, you know, when Elijah went to go see God, all he could see was a glimpse of his back, so to speak, right? God would not face him face to face because he would surely die. And the high holy day, the day of atonement, when the high priest goes in the holy of holies, the tradition says, don't have facts behind this, but the tradition says they would actually put a chain around the ankle of the high priest that year. So when he goes in, uh, uh, 
in case the spirit of the Lord is there, he looks at it and dies. If he dies while he's in there, they can just pull him out by the chain because nobody was going to go in after him because nobody wants to face God and die. That's not because God is mean and evil, but because, because God is so awesome and so great, he overwhelms us literally to death. And, and so that's how intense God is. So people are afraid. They'd cover their face. They would not look to God. They would not want us to have to see God face to face. And yet the angels live in his presence 24 seven. That's how awesome they are. When, when the, when the Israelites were led out of Egypt, God put one angel to destroy the armies that attacked them. One angel. That's how powerful angels were. And we know the, the stories of Gabriel and Michael, the archangels, and how they would fight Satan and how they would take on evil. And they were powerful, powerful beings. We don't know a lot about them. There's a lot of lore in Jewish, uh, in Jewish mysticism and even in the Midrash and, and other writings, uh, on the Talmud, there's, there's a lot more about angels, but, but we know this. They're, they're high. They're holy. They're incredible. They're all, they're incredibly powerful. And they're so pure, they can stand in the presence of God day and night. And he's saying, Jesus is superior to them. He's far greater than them. And the book of Hebrews makes that argument in multiple ways. He ends up just in the first three or four chapters showing that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than all the angels. He's greater than all the prophets. He's greater than the greatest prophet, which is Moses. And, and he is just the greatest, you know, you could, you could actually title Hebrews the greatest. Um, but that's how highly regarded and how awesome Jesus is. Now I will say this. If you have time to go listen to the Hebrews classes, because also in chapter two and three and four, um, Hebrews explains the humanity of Jesus as well and how he wept and how he was perfected through suffering. And how he suffered everything we suffered and he relates to us and, and he understands our struggle. All these things about the human side of Jesus as well. But right now we're, we're looking at, you know, Jesus as a whole and how great he is. The other classic scriptures, Colossians one. And he says, he says, similarly, he says, this is Paul writing and he says, the son is the image of the invisible God. Okay. So right from the beginning, he's once again, the character of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus and you'll see what God is like. You want to know what, you know, I mean, here for us to, to imagine a God who's, who's omnipresent, omniscient, omnificent, who's omnipotent, who's all these great things without limit lives and exists outside of time and space. Is there any way that a person like me or you, who has limited understanding, who's limited by time and space, who's limited by our experiences, could ever understand such a being, an eternal being? No, of course not. Any more than a five-year-old could understand quantum physics. You know, that if you sat down with Einstein and he explained the theory of relativity, what are the odds of a four-year-old understanding that? Okay, and that's that's, the difference is even far greater than that. But that's just to, to illustrate, right? So he is the image of that God. So he helps us understand this greatness 
this great God in a term and in a way that's limited so our limited brains can understand him and can make sense of him. And that's Jesus. And he says, uh, the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So everything was created through Jesus, the things we see, the things we don't see. Now here's the funny thing is, back in this times, um, they didn't have quantum physics. They didn't have molecular studies or cell stu- biology that understood the cellular structure of the human body. There wasn't things unseen. There was just, you know, mysticism, but... There's now we understand far greater how big that statement is because now we understand there's an entire universe of things out there that we can't see. And we're even we're now quantum physics is pushing the envelope to even understand there may be alternate realities that we're unaware of all around us. You know, things seen and unseen. That's what he is. The Lord over all these things, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So everything was made by Jesus for the coming of the Messiah, for salvation, for us being able to spend eternity with God. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He literally holds everything together. And he says, and he is the head of the body, the church, which actually it tells us relationship he has with the church. He's the head. So technically, like like my body, my hands, my feet, my legs, they do whatever my brain commands. This kind of tells us as Christians how we're supposed to function with Jesus. He's the head. We obey. We do. I may be the hands. I may be the feet. I may be the kneecap. Whatever I do, it's supposed to be connected to Jesus, right? He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So when people die... The firstborn already was reborn, and that was Jesus, the resurrection. Okay, so someday we're going to be, we're standing in line with Jesus, and we're all stepping forward, right? So Jesus went past the line of death, and now he's in a great place. We're in that same line. We just got to wait our turn, but our turn's coming. So it says, for God was pleased, excuse me, uh, and he's the head of the body of the church, the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So in what? In everything. In everything, Jesus has supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So in other words, all of his essence, who he is, who is God, it's all in Jesus. It's in him. Now, I know that this might blow some fuses for some people. Like, how how does this spiritual being dwell in a human being? And... First thing I tell you is, is, is there is no scientific explanation because nobody can measure this or study this or research it enough to understand it. There are some things that are just mysteries to us, and we have to be okay with that. As I've said many times, we're on a need-to-know basis, and God tells us what we need to know. There are some things that he doesn't tell us. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't make attempts at explaining. I mean, there's I've heard a lot of them, you know, the... The, 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 the use of water. So water can be vapor, right? It can be gaseous. It could be a cloud. Water can be solid, liquid. I'm sorry, not solid, but liquid. 
and water can be solid as ice, right? Those are three forms of the same thing of H2O. Okay, so some people say, well, that's like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That uh, the Holy Spirit's like the vapor, the Son is like the water, and and God is like the ice. Okay, that, that helps a little bit, you know. Of course, St. Patrick was famous with his, his three-leaf clover, not the four-leaf clover. He used the three-leaf. The four-leaf was the Irish luck, but the, the three-leaf clover, and, and he said it's that God is like this three-leaf clover, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are three, and they are one at the same time. Uh, the fleur-de-lis with the three leaves, that was another way to explain the the, the trinity, um, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So there's multiple ways. You know, I, I tell people, you know, in the essence of God being in one, it's, it's like if, if you took a portable lab and went down to the beach and you studied the water in the ocean, and you got a full readout, everything, H2O plus whatever other little floaties are in there, okay? And then if you took a glass of that lab, I mean, of, excuse me, of that water in the ocean, ran it back to your main lab and researched it, you'd find the exact same things. So they would be, in essence, identical. What's in your glass, what's in the ocean, it's identical. Yet, if I take the glass and pour it over your head, no big deal. Your your head gets wet, your shirt gets wet. But if we took the ocean and poured it over your head, you're dead. So even though they're exactly the same in essence, in their form, they are hugely different, right? God and the Son, the Father and the Son. They are in essence exactly the same, but in form, very different, right? Um, so for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So this problem of sin that separates from us from God, God provided the solution. And the solution was his son paying the price of our sins, that his son died on a cross so that all our sins could be wiped away. Why can't we just be with God even as sinners? Because God is holy. God is righteous. In him there is no darkness. There is no sin. Why can't you, you know, it's it's like a glass of pure white milk. You don't take a glass of black oil and pour it in there. Or of dirt and mud, of brown mud, and pour it in there. It would impurify it. It would dirty it. It would defile it, Right? Think of God as like that glass of milk, you know, or the clear glass of water. You wouldn't want to take a glass of mud and pour it in there. You, that you, you, they're separated. Well, that's kind of how God is can have, God can have nothing to do with sin. And the problem is in our lives, we cover ourselves with sin and we don't see it, but, but it's there. And, and we, we feel the, the results of it. We feel the pain. We feel the struggle. We feel the, 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 the weight of our sins. We feel the hurts of our sins, but we don't see it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And you also have to keep in mind that when God looks at us, he sees us in every day of our lives. Because remember, he's an infinite being. So he can see the day you were born and the day you died at the exact same time. And every day, kind of like if you took a film strip, you know, I mean, some of you don't know what a film strip is. In the old days, they used films and each one has a little picture, right? And the person moves, you know, so every second is recorded on a little picture and he can unwind it and look at your entire life, every second of your life. 
at the exact same time. Because of that, you know, if you've ever seen it, because of that, he can see all your sin at the same time. Think of it like, if you've ever seen a, a, a time-lapse picture of lightning over a city, and you think, you know, uh, one strike here, one strike here, one strike here, okay, once in a while. But when they do a time-lapse photography, you see the city, and it looks like it's raining lightning. There's lightning everywhere. It's all over the city. That's what our sin looks like. Because God's looking at all of it at one time. So we may think, well, I don't sin that often. Yeah, add them up. <laughs> it's a lot. And it's a problem. Because God can have nothing to do with sin. And so God solved the problem. Jesus. He'd come. His blood would pay the price of your sin. And that's what he did. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then the, the last classic one, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this last one for the final class because that launches us into a set of, of, of very specifics about Jesus that we pick up in the Gospel of John. So this is a good introduction to that. So we'll stop there. This is uh, Beginning to Know Jesus or Beginner's Guide to Jesus, number two. Take care and God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.